Hey y'all, this is Byron. I uh, just want to put something out there. Yes, I am a mental health therapist. And yes, my couch is quite comfortable. However, if you're listening to this podcast, it is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a certified or licensed mental health therapist. So though I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to me and hopefully gain some information and insight about what's going on with you from listening to this podcast, Take the time to seek out mental health resources in your area if you so need to. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Coming to y'all live and direct with sound quality better than Teddy Riley's studio setup. Welcome back to the Captain's Couch. I'm your host Byron Taylor. So, um, yeah, how that uh, how that IG live go for everybody last night? Um, yeah, I. There have been some very disappointing things that have happened in um. 2020, but uh. That babyface versus uh Teddy Riley um took the cake last night. Uh <laughs> what the what in the world? Oh my goodness. Oh man. So um anyway, we're back here on the couch this week, and I have a very, very special guest. A a guest who is extremely near and dear to my heart. Um, whom I also have always said is probably even an even better therapist than I am. Um, he's the 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 kind of measuring stick that I'm still working to get towards, but I'm catching up with him though. 
Um, he is the JD to my Turk. Um, he is um, also the, I would say, what owner, proprietor of uh, Strong Counseling Solutions based in um, Gretna, Louisiana. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you, introduce you to Charles Strong III, MS, LPCS, correct? Yep, those are uh, pretty much the letters I go by. <laughs> but but as I've known him since 1988 as Ricky, what's up, brother? Uh, not much, man. Just enjoying this weather before it becomes hail, tornado, whatever we're gonna be getting down here. Yeah, like I don't know, cause it like thundered and stuff last night. I figured that that was like kind of it or whatever. Well, is there like more coming or something? I ain't looked at the uh, the map or anything, the weather map or anything. Yeah, it's supposed to mostly hit Mississippi. Um, I think everyone else is supposed to be pretty clear. Um, but around like Hattiesburg, so sure, that sort of thing, I think they're supposed to get the worst of it. Mm, guess who's happy he doesn't live in Hattiesburg anymore? Yeah. Oh, man. So uh, I brought you on today um, to reminisce a little bit, a little bit, kick back a little bit, and also kind of talk about how uh, the coronavirus has kind of changed the game up as far as for mental health for for both of us, really. So go ahead, give the folks the, the, the backstory, the origin story of how you and me started this long journey of friendship. <laughs> so, go ahead. So, so. Uh, what was it? Kindergarten. Uh, yeah. I was at one school before I uh, switched to another. Um, and you know, just doing my thing in the playground. Apparently I got in a fight that one of my uh, also longtime friends, you know, uh, <laughs> had to regale me later on in the years. I was like, I do not remember that at all. Oh, uh, Dustin? No, no. Uh, apparently it was it was Cody. Oh, Apparently, I, I got in a fight with Cody. Probably picked a fight with Cody. I was kind of as cocky in kindergarten as you can be. <laughs> like, my my main thing was, like, wooing all the kindergarten girls with, like, the invisible saxophone. So, like, some people have air guitars. I had, like, an air saxophone, and I don't know why. That was my thing. And, like, <laughs> the teacher would would be all like, would tell my mom about how I would enthrall all the girls and they'd come watch me swing on the swing set, play, play my, my air saxophone. So like crazy time kindergarten. But um, yeah, I met you uh, on the playground and you were jumping around by yourself saying, boing, boing, save the princess, doing your best Mario. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, I went off to a different school the next year, and then we met up a couple years later, and thick as thieves. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So like, like I tell people that like I've known you forever in a day, and I have, but like as far as us like actually being best friends, there was like a big gap in time where we was like, oh, there's that guy, and we like you know say hello to each other, but we never didn't we didn't hang out. It wasn't until junior high where it really was like yo that's my boy and it has just never been it's never stopped and the thing that brought us together was 
professional wrestling and video games. Yep. Yep. So when I so what you'll hear at the beginning of this episode is the intro for the New Age Outlaws. And that is me and Ricky in a nutshell. Before the New Day, before, you know, all of that. Oh, they didn't know? Uh, they didn't know, apparently. Like, um, I was, we were like diehard New Age Outlaws folk. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say diehard, that's kind of the collective thing for the both of us. But when you ask Ricky who his favorite wrestler is, there is no doubt in his mind, and the answer is always the excellence and execution. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, Brett Hitman Hart. Uh, yep. Don't ever mention Shawn Michaels around this man. He will lose his mind. Don't matter how many years have gone by, he will lose his mind when you mention the name Shawn Michaels. <laughs> oh, my God. But but the outlaws was was me and Rick's thing, and um, I think I felt like I kind of carried the kind of the, the the I was like the flag bearer as far as that goes for all the for a large part of the years. Um, like everything's everything was outlawed with me, everything. Um, so we become best friends basically in eighth grade. Um, we graduate high school together. We go to community college together. We graduate undergraduate together um and then i took like two years off from school and he started grad school before i did um and he graduated grad school before i did but we spent some time together in grad school and then um he got his degree first and then i got mine and then i think around the time i got my degree you got your lpc i believe sounds about right so from there, well, I got married during that time. And then right before I got my degree, you got married. So we got the trade off doing the uh, the best man thing at each of our weddings. Um, I, I will always carry that memory of me uh, getting uh, of us getting ready for your of your wedding and you just like rehearsing your first dance into the ground. I swear to God, I thought you was going to burn a hole in the, in the rug because you were just you kept going over it. <laughs> and we get to the wedding and you and Shelby do the first dance and you hit that little you hit the little dip thing I think you were supposed to do. And out of nowhere, I saw that smirk on your face and I was like, oh, <laughs> he feeling himself real hard right now. Oh, man. That was a great memory. Yeah, so like, um, so, um, yeah. I being uh, highly introverted um, and highly self-conscious as a result of that, um, I had to go to a personal dance trainer, Shelby and I did, for, for months. Um, and we, we clipped the song. It was uh, Metallica's Nothing Else Matters. Uh, so we had like a special version of that that they put together. Uh, so we did a waltz to it. Uh, so I was so worried <laughs> that I was going to screw it up so bad. So yeah, I mean, I was practicing by myself through, till like 4 a.m. <laughs> the day of the wedding, uh, trying yeah. to make sure I had everything. And <laughs> then, and then we do the dance, and like she she forgot like the big flourish. So like I have to like spin her around, and like <laughs> it's I don't know. It was good. I think it was good. Uh, it, it was, was great. Fun, though. It was great. Yeah, man. Uh, we uh we we drank the open bar out of house and home I think at your wedding um also oh, yeah. 
they closed it down. Like apparently yeah. you can't do like <laughs> over a dozen uh, um, car bomb Irish car bombs, <laughs> which is like generally that's like an eight dollar and up drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, we were like another, another. So like they closed the open bar. I don't think that was supposed to happen, but it did. Bro, now the funny part of your wedding was like, like another funny part of your wedding is like when we got to the reception and we got we were sitting there waiting. Dustin, me and Dustin walk up to the bar and Dustin literally pulls out a a piece of paper. He hands it to the bartender and is like, "Yo, can you make this for me?" Bartender looks at it is like, "Yo, I got you, fam." And I was like, "What was that?" He was like, "Oh, I wrote down the recipe for walk me down." I'm like, "Bro, are you serious?" Mm-hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. "Yes, I did. Don't judge me." My man, our boy, our boy came prepared for that, son. I was like, Dustin, for real though. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's like a. From what I recall, I think that's like a reverse uh, Long Island iced tea. So like, it's like all the other main liquors plus blue curacao. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, fam. Oh. <laughs> all right. So let me be clear by saying this, and I told uh, Dante and EJ this, but I don't think I had this conversation with you. If I do get married again, I don't need another bachelor party. Okay. Yeah, I know that's a, that's kind of a stickler for some people. Some It's a dividing no. line. Some people are on each side. No, I'm saying that because I don't ever want to be that drunk again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Son, I don't ever want to be that drunk again. Oh, my yeah. God. I was drunk on my prom. Yeah, so I mean, that's, my bachelor party that's, the, that's the way I think it should work. The the bachelor or the bachelorette, you know, depending on your party, um, should not have to pay for anything, but they should get lit. That should be the objective, and I shout think mission accomplished. <laughs> shout out, to, shout out to Sam for picking up that unbeknownstly picking up that tab at uh, TGI Fridays. All them drinks that we were ordering. <laughs> yeah, it gets uh, rough. Oh, I ain't I never chug. I ain't never chugging a a Wami down ever again. That was that was ill advised. Mm-hmm. So. So I tell my clients this all the time that I kind of had the vision to end up doing what I'm doing around the age 17, um, 16 or 17, around the time I met Courtney. Um, so for you, when did you have a kind of idea in your mind that mental health was going to be what you wanted to do? So I had a couple different paths. Um one of the first things I wanted to do was a reporter. Uh, and then, uh, what's, uh, Al Showers, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, like his whole thing, Al Showers, New Wash 13, Hancock County. That's how he like closed out his feeds. And he came to school for like career day and he just looked so depressed. And I was like, well, this looks miserable. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I got to fiddle around with a little of that whenever I ran, whenever I did video game reporting for uh, 360 Rant Ray, which is now a defunct site. Um, Gamer Emu or Emu Gamer, something like that. Uh, the Examiner, all kinds of stuff. Um, and back when it was press only, I went to E3, Electronics. Oh, I forget what it's called. I thought it was Electronics Arts Expo, but I guess that's not it. Cause it's no, E3. it was Electronics. Entertainment it's something- Expo. Yeah, 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 Electronics Entertainment Expo, yeah. Okay, um, so I went to that, uh, and I got to, like, meet all the cool people, like, uh, developing games and producers of studios, people from Japan, you know, stuff. Met Felicia Day, that was cool. Um, all kinds of stuff there, so I got to get a glimpse into reporting and press and that sort of thing, and that was pretty neat. Um, 
but I didn't stick with that. I thought of lawyering, uh, being a lawyer, um, getting into law. Uh, but the thing that turned me away from it uh, was, oh man, I don't want to have to defend people I disagree with. I think you know are definitely in the wrong and did messed up stuff. Of course, I I didn't realize at the time that the the path I chose counseling. You, know, you still have to have unconditional positive regard, so you still have to do that. Just getting paid a lot less, so I, kinda, I guess it's got a goof there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess when I started looking into, uh, started feeling like I needed to get into this, uh, the profession of like helping people and standing up for people was um, around sixth grade. I went to this party on the beach, this birthday party on the beach, and I remember it was around sixth grade because Bone Thugs and Harmony Crossroads was like the song at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went there and I saw like the way groups of, I mean, kids at the time, young people started splintering off into cliques and everything. And I saw like the decisiveness and, and everything. And I was like, man, people can be pretty rough to each other. And some people just don't have a voice and some people just, you know, need, need someone there for them, you know? Um, and it was a very pivotal point for me because like, I mean, honestly, like, just, like, processing the whole thing, like, I've always been pretty sentimental, much more so since I became a dad, but, um, Hmm. like, I was, like, on my way back, riding back in the car with, like, my mom uh, from the party, and, like, I just, like, came to tears just, like, thinking about, like, how messed up sometimes people can be, you know? Um, So then I started to focus on on counseling, specifically uh, my degree emphasis is child adolescent therapy um, because I think that that age group people are starting to develop into people starting to develop their personalities um, and starting to try to find their way in the world and so many people don't have a a guiding light or a voice or affirmation um, to help them on their journey into being who they want to be and making their difference in the world damn son like you took like my story and then made it like even more like detailed. I feel you. Good job. I appreciate you. So like well, the, you're my yeah. you're my chocolate bear. So there's gonna be blurring of the lines there. Yes, yeah, sir. Hey, hey, so I mentioned scrubs for for as as a thing, right? So like I watched Scrubs like like a like a good like three or four years before Rick did. And as I was watching the show, I was like, son, you gotta watch this, dude. This is literally you and me. And he was like, Well, I don't think I really like that type of comedy, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, son, I'm telling you, watch the show. JD and Turk are literally you and me, man. I'm telling you. I'm like, he's like, all right, whatever, whatever. So I can't remember what was happening, but you you just happen to have like time at the house one day. And he was like, all right, man, I'm about to start watching Scrubs. I'm like, bet, let's go. Within three episodes, like an hour later, you text me back and was like, this is definitely us. <laughs> this yeah. is definitely <laughs> you and me. I was like, I tried to tell you, son. I tried to tell you. Yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, we, we have the same degree emphasis as well with child and adolescent counseling. Now, your role to kind of where you're at as far as mental health is not near as winding as mine. Um, So we get done with undergrad and we leave Walmart under, you know, situations may arise, but you got to be smart about it. Uh, Anyway, so we go to 
um, state hospital and start kind of our mental health career path. And so what was your first impressions of our first day, <laughs> our first day actually on the unit in the mental health field in a psych hospital? Well, that was our, I would say that was our introduction in earnest to the field. Like that's where we came face to face with the, these diagnoses come off the paper that we were still studying, you know, um, in real life. So we saw schizophrenia, we saw bipolar, we saw um, uh, personality disorders. We saw all these different things that we had read in the DSM four at the time um, and studied about, but we hadn't really seen it in action, like in person. Uh, you know, you'd see glimpses of it before you learn how to filter it and, you know, in a way, diagnose it as a professional. Um, but, I mean, just getting the rap sheets of everybody, the face sheets, uh, before every uh, work shift, uh, seeing, you know, what they've been diagnosed with, what their what their disorders are, medical and psychological, and that sort of thing. Um, it was pretty... It was interesting, man. We definitely got a lot of stories, and that's that's when we met another friend of ours, and uh, I made the shift from hard liquor and cider to beer because you needed to. Uh, we called it debriefing, going to drink after after shifts. Yeah. Uh, you needed to. I mean, it was it was wild. I mean, people people throwing feces, people. Um, with psychotic episodes, uh, hallucinating that, you know, uh, even though you're just sitting there in person, you know, like watching them one-on-one -on -one from a chair while they're in this safety room, like they're hallucinating that you are someone who is actively or did rape their sister. So they immediately become aggressive just out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, it was, uh, it was intense, but um, very formative. Um, and that was our, I would say that was our introduction to getting our boots on the ground. Yeah. So you left there and did the day school, right? Yeah. So then I went to a uh, behavioral school. Um, so essentially kids uh, with diagnoses uh, that the lie difficulties in, in what we'll call regular school. Um, so they'd have kids with like uh, diagnoses of autism. They'd have kids with diagnoses of, you know, bipolar, depression, whatever. And they would, they would snap. And like, mm. fun, fun fact here, with the adults at the court-mandated state ho mental hospital, um, I never got injured. Uh, there were times where I thought it was definitely going to happen, um, but Spoiler. it didn't happen. Yeah, guys. Spoiler warning: It happened to me instead. <laughs> yeah, it happened to a couple people, um, but it never happened to me. But at at the school with the kids, I mean, I was the first line of defense against, you know, whenever they would snap on other kids or snap on the teachers. Um, and uh, that's where I got injured. I got a, a finger that apparently I'm 1% disabled, I guess, because my, my, one of my fingers tilts the wrong way. Um, cause like, it's really hard to explain this just verbally, but like someone was trying to go after a smaller kid and I was restraining him. Um, so like he like flails, you know, lifts his arm up to try to get out of my grasp and my fingers get caught in his jacket and just twist. And, uh, 
Yeah, they're swelling, and then like whenever a finger is going 45 degrees the wrong angle, it's a good sign that that's probably not the best uh, state for that. Um, and then another occasion, I was walking someone to the front, and I was training from behind, and he like leans all the way forward, like a deep, deep, deep bow, and then flings himself back, and the back of his head slams into my eye socket. So I had a nice uh, shiner there for a while. Um, so that's that was yeah the second stage uh, of me being in the mental health field, and that's where I sustained <laughs> injuries. Yeah, because so. I mean, having a master's or work on your master's in mm-hmm. the mental health field, there's little you could do. At the state hospital, we basically took vitals, tried to calm people down, and watched people, uh, and led some groups. And in uh, in the school setting, you know, de-escalation, monitoring people, um, trying to assist the teachers, that sort of thing. So, like, not a whole lot of hands-on cognitive restructuring stuff that you can do. There's a little bit, but most of it was honestly kind of grunt work for where we were with our uh, with our discipline. Yeah, and that's one of those things as I tell people who want to get in the mental health field is that like it's going to be a grind and you want to get your master's. Like you're going to want to not stop at your bachelor's degree because there's not a lot of options and you're not necessarily going to be satisfied where you're at. So, you know, grind to get your master's and then that's where you really can affect, you know, affect the change that you're really wanting to have in the field. Um, If you want to go further, cool. You know, if you want to go the route that Rick went with licensure, I mean, that opens up even more doors for you. So you leave the day school and you leave me sad and alone in Hattiesburg and you go and move to Louisiana to go. You, You need Alexa for that? Nah, I mean, I might, I might, I might. Nah, I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it today. I ain't gonna. No, you know what? Hang on. Amazon. I'm, I'm so Play sorry. All Alone by Drew Hill. That's not what I wanted. See, no, I don't want to compliment him. Amazon. Play All Alone by Drew Hill. This is what you deserve. So you leave me all alone in Hattiesburg as I was struggling. I was still at the hospital. I think Matt had left at that point. I definitely overstayed my welcome. I think I just, that was even after I blew my knee out. And you left me, dog. Now I'm just playing. Amazon. Stop playing. So, <laughs> you so, so you got your master's. You headed to Louisiana. You you went got ready to start your your life with your your lovely wife, who I love very dearly. Hey Shelby, um. So you start actually getting to do counseling work, you know, as a mental health therapist in Louisiana. So where you worked at. I think your setup was kind of similar to what I do now um, with with my pack, with like home visits yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, it sounds about right. So like by then I had my master's. Um, I had tried to do internship. I had gone to Louisiana earlier, uh, but I did not know that there was a statewide moratorium for internship. So I had to commute to get to my internship while I was in school prior to that. 
So that was a blast working at GameStop. And although this is this is a relief, if any of y'all have a chance to work for a job that you really don't care about and you really don't necessarily need, uh, it definitely changes your pers- changes your perspective. Um, it's a lot. It's very. It's a lot more. Uh, it's free. Um, you don't feel as stressed, and that was actually pretty cool. Uh, letting managers know, yeah, this is this is not a good decision. Uh, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I know what I'm doing. <laughs> this might get you in trouble. It didn't get me in trouble, but I mean, I didn't need the job. So, like, working a job that you don't need is definitely a different perspective. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's so, real. So, yeah, getting uh, getting into um, I worked in an MHR uh, mental health rehab um, as an MHP mental health professional. So the baseline for that is you need your master's in a field uh, affiliated with mental health, essentially. Um, so three years of that while I was working on my licensure, um, I was going around house to house, sometimes at the clinic. But like I, I eventually migrated most of my clients to the clinic because I thought that was a good sterile environment. And then I was asked by the CEO, like, hey, how'd you get all your clients to show up here. I was like, well, you know, and I told him pretty much that. He didn't say anything. And then I found out later on by my supervisor, hey, you need to change that because in the mental health rehab, 51% at least of the services have to be delivered at the home or the community. I didn't know that. Um, but I mean, that's how they get their bills. That's how they get their funding. So I had to shift people back. Um, but that was, uh, yeah, that was where I really, like I said, where we really got to apply our skills, use our toolkit that we built. I had um, uh, mostly kids, um, and uh, with the kids, like 90% of the fathers weren't in the picture. So, I mean, that plays a role in mental health. Um, and, uh, I mean, hundreds of clients over, over the years there um, in the different roles that I filled. Um, but yeah, going to the house, uh, doing up to two hour sessions in a go, um, unless there's a crisis, uh, a crisis, you'd have to be on call 24 hours. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, that life. Oh, I know that life. Mm. So, I mean, these crises could be anything from like, uh, a kid like banging his head on the table and not stopping to trying to attack the parents to running away to self harm to, um, one of the families I had, it was a foster family, and one of the there was suspicion that one of the uh, siblings um, sexually molested the other sibling. So that was a crisis. Um, you know, all kinds of stuff. I say that, but like in seven years, I probably had like at most a dozen crises that I had to respond to. So I mean, it's a scary thing up front that you hear about that you're going to be responsible for, um, but in actuality, it didn't happen a whole lot. Um, yeah, so I did three years of that, and then I got licensed, and then I did like two years of um, supervisor where I did assessments uh, and supervised teams doing what I was doing uh, in those prior three years. And then in my last almost two years, uh, I was a clinical manager, so I was like doing all that stuff, plus um, trying to increase the, uh, the efficiency of the work staff, looking for things like, hey, I think you're going to this person's house just because we don't need to get authorizations as much so it's easier to get money and what are you really working on? Um, you know, that sort of stuff. So I got to look at 
the field and the MHR stance from a lot of different perspectives. Okay. That's that's crazy, man. Like, it's always funny because, like, like, I think I've gotten to a point where I would actually entertain the idea of maybe a supervisory role. But, like, I always saw it as, like, and especially in the dynamic between you and me, that you were always always kind of the more responsible, well, not not responsible, but more organized of the two of us, um, where I'm still responsible and, like, very responsible and reliable, but yet I'm not near as organized as that, like, I kind of work through my own methods, and they seem to work for me, but then, like, trying to explain it to somebody else or trying to watch somebody else's work is just, it's hard to kind of monitor them and then do my thing at the same time. But with you, I always noticed that it was where you were more kind of organized with your thought process and more, you know, meticulous in that way that you could like help kind of people work through their, you know, work efficiencies and trying to stay on task. Um, but so now you have your own private practice. Um, what's been the experience of getting that um, going in the past? What was it? Almost a year now. Uh, yeah, May uh, last year. I think May 29th uh, is when I uh, submitted all the paper or went through someone to submit all the paperwork because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to forget something. Um, establishing like the business license and the website and start developing social media and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been almost a year. What was the question? What is it like? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the process been like? Oh, yeah. Uh, tough, man, honestly. Um, if I could have waited, uh, I absolutely would have. Um, but like the case with Walmart, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I tell people I did my time at Walmart. Um, oh, yes, we did. I pretty much stayed at Walmart uh, until I felt like I couldn't stay at Walmart. There's a sense of complacency uh, we fall into, I think, whenever we're not entirely challenged. Some, for some people, um, they see that as an impetus for moving in a different direction um for me at the time i was like you know like i'm not <laughs> i know my job i do it well um i'm a three time three time three time four star cashier um and you know I, I i knew what my job was i knew what it entailed and i just did it um but then i felt like i needed to move on uh and the same thing happened here with my private practice, except a little more jarringly. Um, I left the MHR I was at, um, and I went to a place that was closer to home because you know, I had my kid. I felt like if I needed to respond, I'd be able to get there quicker um, for more pay uh, and more flexibility, like uh, making changes in the organization. Uh, I worked there for about a month, a month and a half before I found out uh, cursing is okay, right? <laughs> Oh, please. Yeah. Bruh, it's me, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I never got paid, and no one else there got paid. Like, we would get checks written, and they would bounce. And it took a while to realize that, you know, like, this money is not coming. This dude's a fucking asshole, uh, and he's a liar. Um, and uh, I tried the avenues that I saw to try to better that situation, like, legally. Uh, and they did not work out. They were not, not behind the workers. So I was like, well, uh, I can't report to a job I'm not getting paid for. So uh, I was pretty much at a cliff there. I had to make the whole, you know, 
leap of faith. Um, started private practice, and um, it's been it's been a slow process. It took a while to get my first clients. I'm approaching honestly uh, half capacity, uh, where it's self-sustaining, um, but that's about where I'm at now. So I have my own clients. Um, I'm paneled with some insurance companies. Uh, I do like some spot assessments for other agencies for like contract work, so consulting that sort of stuff. I'm so proud of you. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I'm so pr- I'm proud of you, especially because like when it all went down, you and me was talking, and like you were like freaking out, man. Like, like because uh, I think I remember you was like, you know, I don't know, I don't, like because I know this is around the time where uh, where where Debbie was was kind of you know it was towards the end at that point. And uh, well, R.I.P. We miss you, Miss Debbie. Uh, you were you were you were a beautiful woman. Um, we we got your baby. Okay, you know we still we still keeping them. We still keeping them. But uh, like where all that was going on, and um, you was just like dog. I like like I don't know if this gonna work. You know, I remember sitting down. I was like, all right, so like give yourself a hard deadline on. You know, if clientele is not building, you know, then go ahead and look for something else and then maybe try to still build it on the side. And then if it starts picking up, then go ahead and make that transition. But, you know, slowly but surely it started making its way and getting kind of coming together. And, you know, you know, every time I said that, like every time I stopped by the house, the well, maybe basically every time I stopped by the house because I was flying out of town, <laughs> we talk about we talk about how the practice was going. So it's good to hear that it's it's getting towards sustainability. And uh, so how has the pandemic and COVID-19 really changed the dynamic of how you're doing mental health um, for your for your practice? So uh, I, I hate to say our generation, uh, but our generation uh, came up. I mean, with video games and computers, I mean, like I remember my great grandma had an Atari 2600. Um, then my grandma got an NES. Um, so like I threw myself into video games and the immersion, that sort of thing. And then, you know, computers are more readily accessible. So like my first computer was a Macintosh Performa 400, uh, which, you know, like having a computer at home was, was awesome. Uh, it didn't have a lot of games on it cause it was a Macintosh. So like mm-hmm. back then the games available to, to Apple were like uh, educational games. So like where in time is Carmen San Diego? And like, yes, that's like one of the three. They, they um, but I mean, uh, I fell in love with that sort of technology, that sort of resource. Uh, AOL came out, and the whole like horrible sounds that traumatizes. <laughs> you got mail. Goodbye. Um, oh, that that. <laughs> That jarring, that jarring, uh, wanting to curse, but no, you still in your mama house. Whenever the phone rang and you got kicked off the internet, mm-hmm. had to set up call forwarding. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I, I never did figure out how to do that. Yeah, so that was that was a thing. Um, so I really, really appreciate the internet, the internet, and like uh, chat rooms and that sort of thing, and being able to communicate, uh, uh, distance communication essentially. Um, so that sh- uh, shaped um, uh, how I started my private practice. I really try to push for online counseling uh, via, you know, different platforms uh, like Zoom, um, where you could still have your counseling session, 
uh, from afar. So like you don't have to wait for like a parent to get home with their kid who's the client and then do whatever they need to do with them and then maybe even come across the bridge for a session. Um, you can just get them as soon as they come home. Uh, you, you could uh, provide counseling for people in their environment where they feel more secure and more comfortable, uh, where they're able to open up more, uh, that sort of thing. And then COVID-19 hits and luckily all my clients that I had uh, were like, yeah, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and do this. Um, I've had some other people in the field who say that they still meet uh, the, the, the rare few people who do not want to meet uh, nope. online and want to meet in person. Yeah, so they'll do their sessions in a courtyard of a church like six feet away and like that's how they operate. But luckily, I've been able to get all my people online. Nope, not your boy. Look, I appreciate it. I appreciate it when Canopy was like, hey, um, we're going to do telehealth. Um, and then the same thing, the same thing for you, like that, that learning curve of like adjusting to telehealth was like very small. Cause I mean, you know, obviously our generation, you know, we both, you know, I think, well, my first system was NES. So, um, I remember getting the, uh, the NES with the, uh, with the, uh, Mario brothers and duck hunt with the gun and, uh, on Christmas, you know, with I me and Ben. Dog. I still oh, yeah. Dog. Oh, yeah. God, yes. Of course we do. Like, I, I can't remember how many times I tried to shoot at the dog and it didn't do anything. Um, so, yeah, me and Ben, um, of course, this was before EJ came along. So, me and Ben ended up getting the uh, the NES um, and we had that. So, that was the start for me. Um, we didn't get a computer until like 95 and it was a, uh, it was a Gateway 2000. Um, that thing was big that that monitor was huge that tower was humongous it was heavy were those the um, ones that came in that cow box for yes. some reason yes well because they were they were made in texas i think ah. i think dell bought them out but i think gateway i think gateway to gateway was was like a brand in texas which you know there's a lot of cows in texas Shit, there's a bunch of cows in houston i mean i've seen them um so who is so who is the clients that kind of are best served as far as like with distance um distance therapy as far you know are there certain clients that you may shy away from or certain limitations that you notice by providing kind of distance therapy services as opposed to stuff in person so there are uh it kind of goes both ways for this one uh, they're the old heads, so like, they're the ones that are like, counseling needs to be in person. I can't have a therapeutic relationship if I'm meeting, you know, on the other side of a screen. Um, I mean, there's a long. Uh, we have the, the I mean, I want to say the stigma, but we have the long history of the imagery of you know, like lying down on the couch in your therapist's office, and you know, you, you receive your psychoanalysis there, and and that's how that works. Uh, so a lot of people kind of hold on to that um, and haven't really opened up to online counseling, this new medium. Um, even though I'm sure they do like Facebook chats and Skype and that sort of thing, uh, it's just different for the field for some reason. Um, so those don't really work. Um, they're meeting courtyards and churches right now. Um, there yeah. are those who have severe uh, psychosis um, that it may be hard to, to come to grips with. There's, there's, um, 
there's a person I was talking to who has a uh, a diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder. Um, so one of the things with that, I mean, it, it, it used to be called split personality. A lot of these diagnoses have changed over time. Um, so uh, for that, the person used to have them in session and like whenever they would drift off to a different personality or whatever, like that constant feeling of like just putting her hand on the client's hand would be some semblance of of uh, a, a stable ground that continued on no matter which personality she shifted into. So there was that stability. Um, but now with online counseling, she's kind of scrambling to try to find a way to maintain that sort of uh, consistently, consistency, like I said. Um, kids can be difficult, especially if the parents are like, you need to go to counseling because they're already resistant. So like if they're on the computer, I've had people, uh, I've had young clients like going into a Fortnite match, you know, while we're <laughs> doing session and that sort of stuff. Um, so it's, it's client specific, but you do see some trends with certain, certain groups of clients. Yeah. Like I always, I always kind of approach the client with video games as like, look, if we can, if you can still engage and get what I need for you to get from this conversation, then I'll let you cook. But if I notice you're just completely tuning me out, then I'm going to ask you to turn it off. Um, I've occasionally played video games with my clients before. Um, I haven't done that much lately. Well, obviously, because I'm not in their homes right now. But uh, like I've gotten, I've kind of gotten away from that because I get distracted as well. Um, even though it's a good way to connect with the kids, so they kind of build more trust with you. It's just like, oh, Mr. Byron's really cool. I feel like I can really talk to him. He does a lot of some same stuff that I do. But um, one thing I've noticed has been a struggle for me is like my younger kids, it's hard to try to keep them engaged, you know, when you're not there in person because like it feels like it, you know, it's feel like that timer is like even shorter, you know, that attention timer is even shorter when you're not there in person with them to, you know, to kind of give them the extra push to be like, all right, you know, sit here, sit still or try to sit still and try to keep engaging so sometimes you got to trick them as like, you know, we're almost done or, you know, you, you do this one more and then there's one more turns into five more <laughs> and they, they don't know what happened to them. It's just like, wait a minute, I was supposed to get mm -hmm. off. It's like, psych. I got mm -hmm. you. Yeah, I used to, whenever I was uh, an MHP, um, I would use timers sometimes on my phone and I do that with my four-year-old. Um, so, okay, when this timer goes up, we need to do this. We need to shift back to this and then after that timer goes off, we can shift back to this, you know, kind of budgeting time and, and swishing back and forth where it's not so intense for them and it's better for their attention. Um, I've done video games. Um, I have played along while talking and I've also like let them play and talk to them like one of the shooters uh, uh, that they would uh, do, you know, like pick your favorite Call of Duty here. Um, they play that and sometimes I would you know, like, uh, see them in real time getting ticked off. So, you know, we could be like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about how we typically handle this. Let's use some of these skills that we've been working on because these apply too. Just because it's a video game, your anger is still real. Your reaction is still real. So let's, you know, let's, let's process this. Um, there is, I was reading, reading an article a couple weeks ago. It's a very gray area. Um, 
about playing video games like online with a client during session um, as the session. Um, oh, yeah, no, I ain't doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has its concerns because of confidentiality, and a lot of these a lot of these games have open chat or proximity chat or whatever when you're next to the other character in game. Um, so there are trepidations there, but I think it's I think it's interesting because play is important to all of us um, fundamentally. Children communicate through play, um, and play is something that, if completely abandoned by adults. Um, stress just mounts up and we have that stigma you know like where you're grown you need to move past this sort of thing but I mean if you're not getting some sort of catharsis from somewhere um, you're gonna burn out um, so I'm very interested in seeing how play therapy um, crosses over into you know like video games in session and how that works out and there's a certification for everything. So I don't doubt that in a couple of years there will be like certified Fortnite therapist or whatever, you know. Man, look, like can can I get can I do it in Destiny cuz I'm not playing Fortnite. I'm sorry. Like, you know, that's one of them that's one of them ones like I've done I've played Fortnite a time or two with my clients and was just like I am very dissatisfied with this. I play a real sh- and I, I tell my clients all the time I was like, "Oh, Mr. Barnard, you want to play Fortnite? Play a real shooter. Play Destiny." Like, what? And it's like, you heard what I said. Um, <laughs> I'm not particularly fond of that game. Um, but I get it. You know, I get it. The kids enjoy it. Now, I mean, I enjoy a nice little Minecraft and we build something together. That's 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 constructive on a lot of different ways, especially you can use it in therapy um, to kind of teach that patience and going through the process of, you know, building and kind of crafting things and allowing them to be creative. Um so I do enjoy doing that. Like, um, so how do you handle like clients who are, you know, who may have a like significant history of uh, like suicidality or like homicidal ideations as far as like um, distance uh, therapy with telehealth? So um, for pretty much every one of my clients, I do a Likert type scale check in um, at the top of each session. So one to ten, one being the worst, ten being the best you know, where you're at today or this week, um, that sort of thing. Um, so I kind of get a gauge of where they're at overall, where they might have changed from their prior responses, which opens up the conversation of, okay, why are you lower? Why are you higher? Um, and for kids, I've started gravitating towards using like a, something that's easier for them, I think, like a school grading type scale. So A through F, you know, uh, A is the best, F is the worst. Um, you know, it's important if you're using scales to define what those numbers mean. Because um, not everyone's going to use scales differently. Some people will refuse to use 1 or 10 because they feel like those are extremes that it's just impossible to hit. So what, is, what does 1 look for you? What's the worst, absolute worst day you've had? What's 10 look for you? What's the absolute best day you've had? That sort of thing. Um, and I use these scales as a general check-in um, that in this case contextually it might... Um, go into conversation, okay, well, I'm at a four this week. I'm usually at a seven. Uh, I've been thinking of hurting myself. And we go into that. Um, so check-in is critically important because, I mean, you're not seeing these people all the time, even in person. Um, so a lot relies on their disclosure. 
-hmm. so you have to check in. And a lot of times with um, depression and anxiety and that sort of thing, they don't want to volunteer the information. They're not going to unless you pull out of them. Um, so you kind of have to dig for that. You kind of have to uh, really encourage, you know, like, I'm here to help you. I'm here to listen to you. Um, I need your honesty. Um, and then we can go from there with whatever sort of responses I get from that. So uh, check-ins, making sure that they have the resources available, like having a good crisis plan for them, like uh, who are three people you, can, you feel comfortable reaching out to if you feel like you're going to hurt yourself. Um, okay, what are their phone numbers, where they live? Um, do you feel comfortable calling 911 or you know, going to the hospital if you feel like you're going to hurt yourself? Okay, uh, what are your trends in hurting yourself? What are some usual triggers that you might encounter um, before you start to get those urges? What things do you do? Uh, what do you use? Uh, are those things readily available to you right now? That sort of thing. Uh, so every person's crisis is going to be different. Someone's crisis is going to be, oh, I failed a class. Some person's crisis is, oh, well, my dad hit me again. You know, um, so it's very individualistic. Word, man, I'm glad you came on. Love you, guy. Love this guy, folks. <laughs> so um, we started getting ready to, to kind of wind down and everything. So um, we've been we've been partners in crime for a very very long time before either one of us was fathers. So give me, give me like a favorite memory uh, from all the time that we've been together all these years. A favorite memory. All right. Uh, well, um, I think probably my favorite memory is not the video that you posted the repeatedly <laughs> on Facebook of me trying to do push-ups after drinking. <laughs> so it's for sure not that one. Uh, you're an asshole for that. Hey, whatever. <laughs> I appreciate y'all taking me out that night, but whatever. <laughs> y'all yeah. shouldn't have got drunk. That's y'all's fault. <laughs> yeah. I was the one that was having a marriage problems. Yeah, so um, I would say uh, it's not so much a favorite memory as a favorite phase. Uh, and that's you really coming into your own. Uh, you, you, many years ago, you got married. You had that relationship. It was rough. It didn't work out. And it took a lot for you to amass the courage and the, the drive to say, okay, uh, I need to cut my losses here because there's a child involved. And that Makes, makes everything so much more difficult because um, you have concerns, I'm sure, of, okay, how is she going to look at me after this relationship ends, knowing that, you know, like I was pushing this to action where we all needed to, to be in a better space, need to be happier, healthier, because um, you're not just making that decision for yourself. You're not just splitting up with a, with a partner. You're changing the family. Um, so that took an immense amount of courage, um, and continuing on with your professional development, uh, cause always in school you were, you had the better grades. Um, <laughs> there was a time even, uh, where I'd say the turning point was in undergrad where like I was goofing around playing 
MMOs and that sort of thing just kind of drifting through. Untimely um, amounts of MMOs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I was like, "Hey, Byron, man. Hey, B. Can I get this? Can I? Can I see your notes? Whatever." And like, <laughs> you put your foot down, and you're like, "No, man. Like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of doing this for you. I'm trying. I'm tired of, you know, like, do it yourself if you want to do it." And at the time, I was pissed, of course, because I was like, "Oh, there goes my gravy train," <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I mean, it forced me to be accountable. It forced me to look at what I'm trying to do in my life and make an impact and realizing that just leaning on others isn't going to do it. Um, so you made that call there, uh, you know, to your best friend saying, you know, you need to do this for you essentially. Um, and I did. So that was a big turning point in my life. Um, and, and now you're, you're working on your professional development, working towards licensure, that sort of thing where you can be a highly valued member of our helping profession that can be a guiding light for for so many so many clients especially kids um and i love the podcast that you're doing uh, i think it speaks to a very deserving unnoticed population uh that really needs a strong voice and every strong voice they have out there um is critical and fundamental to their overall wellness and success in life so like i applaud you for that and i'm so proud of you for that um and just keep grinding man well you gonna make me cry damn well you gonna make me cry shit oh, i appreciate that dog um it's a couple for me um your wedding is one of them um like you know seeing seeing kind of like the culmination of like all of the the struggle and the pain, especially like after your dad after your dad passed, like how kind of crazy things I got in that kind of couple of years after that, um, you know, and then kind of getting to where you got, you know, to the point of like, all right, well, you know, I remember you, I remember the phone call. You was like, hey, so, so I'm a I'm a propose when we go to Disney. This is what I got. I'm gonna do it at the French restaurant, blah, 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 blah. And I was like thinking, like, oh my God, this is insane. Like my boy gonna get married. And then I also was like, I also felt bad because I was like, damn, I wanna be there for this. Like, you know, I and I hated that I couldn't, but like, you know, I was happy when, you know, you know, I saw the video and everything. I was like, this boy smooth with it. I'm so proud right now. I'm like, look at that. Like, oh shit, like right in the middle of the French the French restaurant at Disney World. Like, look at that's my boy. You know what I'm saying? Like that. And then we get to the wedding day and we're getting ready, you know, uh playing international players anthem and you know, getting ready for the wedding. <laughs> hey, man, I had to do it, bro. Like, I had to do it. Like, I was like, you know what? Nah, this ain't right. So we was getting dressed for the wedding, and I put on International Players Anthem, and Rick just like, yeah, let's go. Getting ready for your wedding, and um, <laughs> getting to the wedding and uh, not being able to get the ring box out of my jacket pocket. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Oh, my God. That son of a bitch was just like, fuck, come on. And you were looking at me like, yo, you good over there? I was like, I can't get the box out of my pocket. And he's like, yo, I need you to hurry up. I was like, I didn't want to take the box out of the pocket because I knew you was going to fight me if I lost these rings. Finally got it out. I was like, here you go. And of course, everybody starts laughing. So it kind of lightens. I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like it was tense or anything, but it's that kind of weird, kind of like, like Alex, Alex uh, 
like Alex said to me the other day, she's like, you have a way of saying or doing things that even if you're not trying to be funny, people laugh at it. I was just like, uh, this is embarrassing, but here you go. Here's the rings. Um, but the other one that sticks in out that sticks out in my mind is, yo, you remember WrestleMania 30, right? Oh yeah, man. The one time it, I feel like the one time it left Madison Square Garden. Ah, it ain't, it ain't been in Madison Square Garden since like I think like twenty, like well, WrestleMania we, twenty. We, we watched it for years, man, and I was like, okay, cool, WrestleMania's coming up. Maybe it'll come close. Oh, cool, Madison Square Garden again. Great. Yeah, no, I think I think like it was like either twenty or like twenty five was like the last time it was at Madison Square Garden. It's been on the it's been on the road ever since. Like I mean, last year when Kofi won, it was it was in New Jersey, but like I think the year before that, what was thirty four? Thirty four, like like thirty one was in San Francisco, thirty two was in Dallas, I think thirty four was in Atlanta. And then 35 was in Jersey because it was supposed to be in Tampa this year. But then the Rona happened because, like, everybody was, like, hyped because, like, uh, like, Kari saying, like, I know I know we don't really both watch wrestling like we used to. But, like, you know, Kari saying, like, a Japanese woman wrestler who, like, she's, like, the Sky Pirate. So, like, mm-hmm. everybody was envisioning that her, her entrance was going to be her on the pirate ship at Raymond James, like, so, coming so, out with the pirate. So, it being in Tampa, is that why it was – had that pirate theme to to WrestleMania? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because it was going to be at Raymond James, yeah. That's why. But, uh, so, the build-up to WrestleMania 30, like, neither one of us had really seen, watched wrestling much in, like, the past couple years before then. So, like, we really didn't know what was happening. So, like, you bought the tickets because you were like, oh, it's in New Orleans, we're going. And I'm like, all right, bet. So you got the tickets, and it's you, me, Shelby, and Ben, uh, our friend Ben Sayans. So, you know, they had the build up. I think, I think Hulk Hogan was the host. Lols. Um, because we're in the we're in the Silverdome, brother. <laughs> and it's I'm in the Superdome. We're in the Silverdome. We're, we're you know, we're in the Silverdome, brother. I'm like, yo, we in New Orleans, bro. What you talking about? So fucking Stone Stone Cold comes out is like we're in the Superdome. I'm like, oh, thank you, Steve. I appreciate you so much. So before we got to the show, you and me had this conversation, and you looked at me as like, so you think The Rock gonna be there? And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. You know, he he busy. I think he's filming a movie right now. Might have been like Fast Five. I think he was filming, and uh, I was like, yeah, nah, I doubt he gonna be there. You know. And we sit down and like Hogan comes out and then Stone Cold comes out and, you know, we pop huge when Stone Cold came out. I was just like, yeah, let's go. You know, I was real happy to see him. And then Stone Cold and Hogan is talking. And then next thing you know, you hear if the, if you smile and you look at me with that damn smirk on your face, just like motherfucking right. Here comes the rock and you just lose it. I'm just like this boy. Shelby looked at me, was like, well. Yeah, my hand. There go my husband, fanboying over over another man. I was just like, you gotta let him have it, baby. Yeah, gotta man. Because I mean, that was, oh man, that was our childhood. Like, oh, going to WrestleMania itself was like, you know, we need to do this for young us. You know, yeah. Um, it's never come this close. We could say, you know, like I went to WrestleMania. Um, cool. I uh, didn't know any of the players. Didn't know didn't know Cesaro. Didn't know. You know, all these other people who were down there could barely see anything anyway. But I mean, like, just <laughs> we were so high up, just that audio clip 
you know, like just hearing that. And then he comes out was, you know, like that and The Undertaker just like sent, just sent chills, you know, like, because it was like, mm-hmm. these are people who at that time when I was a kid, when we were kids, you know, like we just loved watching them on TV and they, I mean, I wouldn't say they were heroes, but like, I mean, they were so cool. They had so much charisma. They were these these like lofty people on high who like were just so amazing and so cool and so entertaining and just being there in person was was a blast yeah man it was absolutely incredible um and and i tell people you know we were there when lesnar beat undertaker and we can attest to how quiet it was in the superdome like we're 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 two people amongst seventy thousand people, and not a soul said anything. I think even people who wanted Brock to win were in shock that he won. Nobody cheered. Nobody cheered. Like one, two, three, it was dead silent. We was like, "Yo, he had to kicked out, right?" Yeah, I'm like, I think even Heyman was was quiet. Yeah, he was like Heyman. Even Heyman was shocked. Like you and me looked at each other, was like, "Yo, Taker kicked out, right?" And Ben was like, "No, I don't think he did. I I think Lesnar won." Yeah, and then they put that and one on the screen. Yeah, and it was like a smooth like five six seconds. We was just sitting there, and it felt like a good minute. And we was in suspense, like, "What happened?" And it had only been like fifteen seconds. And then it was like, you know, they they announced Lesnar as the winner. And then it was just like, yo, what just happened? Yeah, so like the only thing I can compare it to is when I saw that that Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, I don't know if you're with me. Uh, yeah, yeah, theaters. we were there. We yeah, were there. like years ago when that movie came out and like Raphael, my favorite, uh, and Leonardo were fighting. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Here we go. You know? And then like Spoiler alert, I guess. I don't know. It's been nah, years. I ain't no, yeah, you know, especially movie, almost 10 years old, man. But like no Raphael won. And I was like, oh shit, what just happened to my childhood, essentially? <laughs> you know, like same thing with the Undertaker thing. And like they Raphael like looks at him and Leonardo looks at him and they just kind of look at each other and like they can't handle the situation. Raph runs off. And I was like, so that's that's kind of like what that Undertaker loss situation was. Is that like it, through childhood, you know, like, oh, The Undertaker shows up at WrestleMania and he's undefeated, and that's just his thing until it isn't. Yep. Yep. And hell, he should have stayed down and retired when Roman beat him a couple years ago. But alas, alas, you know. What you say, uh, get money. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Yep. Get money. Get money. Yep. Oh my god. Because that, that was the perfect, like, the match wasn't great, but it was a perfect way to go out where he takes off the gloves, he takes the trench coat off, he folds up the trench coat, he takes the hat off, he puts the hat on top of the trench coat and the gloves, and he walks off, and, like, basically he's Mark Calloway now, he's not The Undertaker, and then he just descends into the... That was a perfect way to go out! Yeah, that was a perfect storybook ending. For that character that's how it should have been like the only other the only other wrestler who i was like yo that was a picture per- picture perfect way for you to retire was rick flair when Shawn michaels beat rick flair at uh wrestlemania 24 
that the uh the whole and of course I know I'm bringing Shawn Michaels up and you're just like oh f that guy but like it was perfect it was picture perfect it was Nature Boy just fighting with everything he doing all the moves he puts him in the figure four Shawn powers out hits him with like five sweet and musics and Flair keeps kicking out and then that last shot of like Nature Boy with his with his Dukes up trying to square up and him crying and Shawn looking at it like I'm sorry I love you one last sweet and music and one two three and it's like yo. That's how the Nature Boy is supposed to go out, but money, <laughs> and he ends up going to TNA. Oh, yeah, and that's man. that's the that's the tough thing is that like they're not they're not books. So much, so much to wrestling is narrative. You know, like there are these stories. There are these. Uh, everyone has their saga and their legacy and that sort of thing. And there's a point where it should end, but the people enacting these stories. You know, our players and those stories and they're still people <laughs> so like they have their own agendas and initiatives so like even though the story is wrapped up as neatly as it should be and that's how it should end sometimes they come back and then it just kind of spoils it unfortunately yeah but i mean you know and the crazy thing as i say this is like my two favorite wrestlemania moments both involve daniel bryan because I we got to see him win at 30 in person. We didn't know who this dude was, but we're chanting, we're doing the yes chant like everybody else at the end of the night when he's standing there with the belts. Oh my god, that shit was amazing. Yeah, so I, I did a video um about emotional contagion uh that kind of talks about that. Uh I mean, there's just this thing when you're grouped up in a bunch of people. And like a mood just like sets in and like people get swept up in it. I mean, you see it all the time at like football games and that sort of thing. But like, yeah, we didn't know who that dude was. I, I hadn't watched wrestling, I don't think, since like Bret Hart got hurt and couldn't wrestle anymore. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that dude. But like I got to see like <laughs> I got to see his story or at least a little snippet, an important part in his story. And I got swept up in it. It was cool. Yeah. And then, of course, the other one is Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship at WrestleMania in front of his family with the squad, with the New Day. They're supporting him. And just the black, just the black excellence, the black boy joy, just the knowing just how they started from a gimmick that Vince McMahon basically saddled them with that they knew they were screwed and they couldn't get over until they took it and made it their own. And they took that gimmick all the way up to winning the damn WWE championship. That shit was incredible to see. I was yeah. so happy. Yeah, that, that, that was, that was really cool. Um, I definitely watched that on the computer. <laughs> um, yeah. and, it but... did, and it didn't, and it didn't hurt that the match was really good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like we like we've talked about before, is the perfect storm. It was like um, the support from the fans. It was having Daniel Bryan there um, to, uh, you know, like not pull like uh, a move like Hulk Hogan or somebody else would be, where they just, where their old crusty white asses just hold onto the belt and refuse to turn it over. You know, you, Randy. Yeah, yeah. Um, stupid, stupid. Uh, oh yeah, I'm glad that Randy got his coat. I I don't necessarily like how they really booked those kind of couple matches they had with him because, like, 
I felt like if they I felt like if they had done that where the big blow off match for that feud was at SummerSlam instead of the pay-per-view after that, I think it would have hit different. But like nonetheless, they booked Kofi's reign pretty well until the end, until it ended. And then it was just like, oh, Brock's back. We're just, you know, Brock Lesnar. It's just like, yeah, y'all could have still done that better than that. Vince but, gonna Vince. Yeah, Vince is definitely gonna Vince. And we we're seeing that right now. But um so uh, let the folks know on where they can find, you know, uh, strong counseling uh, services online, uh, strong counseling solutions online, and and the YouTube clips and stuff that you uh, that you put out there, uh, fam. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Psychology Today, Charles Strong the Third in Gretna, Louisiana. Uh, you can find the website strongcounselingsolutions.com. We've also got a Facebook page, um, and on the website you'll also find links to the Instagram, the Twitter, that sort of thing. I do. Videos every Monday, um, little clips of uh, little components of psychology or mental wellness, that sort of thing. Um, uh, let's see what tomorrow's is real quick. I have it set to auto post. Um, if you're looking for counseling sessions anywhere in Louisiana, I could do that with telehealth. Just uh, hit up the site, send me a message, charles at strongcounselingsolutions.com. And tomorrow's video is, you know, I've got like three Google accounts. So like every time I open a browser, I got to keep <laughs> switching the damn thing. It's great. I mean, it's sometimes it's too helpful, I guess. Okay. Oh, speaking of Google, I meant to mention it. So if you've ever sent me an email at byrontaylor23 at gmail.com, you can thank Ricky for that. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into that in a second. Um, tomorrow's video is about team building. So that's more like uh, trying to put together groups of um, people who are going to see a, a project through or improving efficiency in groups. Um, and one of the components is, is three main components, and one of them is pretty neat. So if you're interested, check it out uh, on YouTube, Strong Counseling Solutions or find it on the website, strongcounselingsolutions.com. Um, but yeah, the, the, the website, the, uh, the uh, email thing. Um, in undergrad, I talked to uh, Dr. Christopher Berry. Um, hey, Doc. And learned a, learned a lot of lessons from that dude. He was super cool and helped me out a lot. He let me do uh, research to get some experience just so it looks good on resume. Um, and like I had a ridiculous email at Yahoo and he was like, are you sure you want to use that? Because that's going to be like the, you know, your professional email. Is that really the one you want to use? You might want to make a Gmail account. And I was like, yeah, I know that. Um, so like, <laughs> on, I was like, hey, Byron, man, you should, you should, you should probably do a different email. No, no, it wasn't even you should. It was like, oh, hey, I made you a Gmail oh, account. Okay. You literally, you literally was like, yo, what was your basketball number? 23, right? I'm like, yeah. It's like, I made you a Gmail account. It's your name, 23, a Gmail. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> no, it wasn't a, hey, you might want to. It was a, hey, I did this thing for you because uh, Dr. Barry said we probably should do that because uh, also I had a very ridiculous AOL email address at the time. I think, um, I think we all did. We all did. Yeah, we definitely all did. Yeah, so, yeah, I appreciate that, brother. But uh, that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for checking us out here on a very special edition, a very special episode of The Captain's Couch.
which I think I might actually name the title of this episode a very special episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, leave me a uh, episode. Right. Uh, also, uh, Rick, by the way, if you go on uh, Funny or Die's uh, YouTube account and type in like a very special episode and watch those, there's one with Family Ties where Tom Hanks was on there. It is fantastic. I did check that out. Yeah. So thanks so much, y'all, for listening to The Captain's Couch. Uh, leave a five-star review on iTunes. Um, check your boy out on the socials at Captain's Couch on Twitter, at Captain Ingenuity on Instagram and Twitter. And Marion, I thought that hat was cool. Thank you. Um, check out the Facebook page, The Captain's Couch. Um, leave me messages. Leave me feedback. We will check you guys out next week. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Congregation, would you turn your text to the book about cast? Chapter 2, verse 1, the first one that feel me. Jump up and make a joyful noise, you've outcast it. Meaning, now you have a choice like that. You'll be where you